Mic check. Okay, and we're live. You're listening to Fanatsu. Maybe you should you should set up the camera um, somewhere over here since uh, you know we're facing this way. But yeah. So um, you know, for for those of us or for our, our listeners who are just joining, um, our non uh, Patreon exclusive members, um, sitting down today with uh, Ed Alvarez, former executive director of the Commission on Decolonization. Um, so Ed, did you want to give a, a brief introduction about your, your experiences and uh, you know yourself? How how did you get into the decolonization game? I mean, because um, you, you probably came in at a time when uh, it still was uh, was highly frowned upon, even more so than it is now. You know, so. That's true, but first, is my mic working? Your mic is working. Okay. Yes. Well, I got. I became interested in uh, decolonization right here at the university. Uh, in my first year here in 1979, mm-hmm. um, there was a group of us that were really into political status. We began. We began to question a lot of things that were going on in Guam, but up prior to that time, I was pro-American. Mm-hmm. wanted to look American, speak American, act American. Yeah. But then I came across this report that was smuggled out of the United States by this guy from Palau in the 70s. And we read that report. It's called the Solomon Report. Mm-hmm. And I was furious that we really were conspired against in black and white, point by point. And everything in that report, the Solomon Report, which has been probably be redacted by now or you know blackened out you can't get any meat and potatoes on it now but what I read was a blueprint on how to on how to keep the, the Marianas Islands FSM and Guam dependent on the United States and that just blew me away because up until that time I thought the United States was all about freedom and democracy yeah. and opportunity and the pursuit of happiness and all that so that filled the fire first and when I kept researching and finding out more and more things, you know, about what I thought was, you know, a, you know, a great country, and it still is a great country in many other ways. Yeah. But how they dealt with us politically, you know, how the sabotage and all the things they did to us, point by point. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, they, you know, one of the things in the report was introduce American education introduce social welfare yeah introduce immigration right and so all those things today you can see you know the results of those things and all the narratives were very exact on what these what the impacts of these programs Mm -hmm. would have so that that infuriated me because you know i always thought that we could you know that that never happened to us but it did so anyway you know um a long time ago, in the early 80s, me and Governor Calvo were talking about this in an indirect way, and we got into a big fight, mm-hmm. big argument. You know, we didn't talk to each other for a few days. Uh-huh. And then what happened was he called me up, and he told me, hey, man, you know, I, I recognize now that not everybody on Guam is, is okay. So I think he remembered that 
in 2011 when he won the election. And he, he thought of me for this because he knew I was very passionate about this. And throughout the years for the decolonization effort, well, at that time it was called self-determination. Mm -hmm. I've been very interested and I followed it. I'm, I'm not a rookie, you know, I know a lot about this. Uh, you know, and, and in reviewing a lot of the stuff with Mike Babakwa, we, you know, we came to realize that, you know, this is our passion, right? So, so once we started, you know, the, in 2011, January 3rd, I, I had no office. There was no money for the Commission on Decolonization. It was zero. And so I felt, well, you know, there's no excuse to do nothing because you don't have anything. So what I thought of is, well, let's, let's start awareness. Let's at least do that because we don't have any money for an education campaign, we have no money for studies, we have no money for anything else. I didn't even get paid that year. Hmm. But I knew I couldn't sit around and do nothing. That's unacceptable you know, yeah. with, with Cabo Tenorio administration. So I began going out to all the schools first. Because I thought, well, I should start young because in six, seven years, these are the guys who are gonna be voting, right? It'd be good if they had a little bit of a basic knowledge based on what this is about. Yeah. So that's what I did. I went to all the private schools, Catholic schools, I'm sorry, private and public schools, yeah. and you know, started spreading this basic ideology about what had happened to us, why decolonization is important to us, how it affects them in their daily lives. And the kids got it right away. You know, whether you use the Jones Act to demonstrate what their life could have been without the Jones Act and how goods and commodities are so expensive Mm -hmm. on Guam and here's why. All the way to earned income credit, tax credit program that we have to fund on Guam but the, all the states don't. Mm -hmm. There's just so much you know one foot in one foot out kind of situations where sometimes we're treated like a state and sometimes we're not. Yeah. And usually when it's for our benefit we're not a state. When it's not for our benefit we're included. You know, we are part mm -hmm. of the United States. So that, that that's what infuriated me. You know, you either tell me if I'm in or out, but don't, don't do this selective, you know, sometimes I'm in and sometimes I'm out. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's, this messes things up. It's, it's never good for us. And the one thing I realized historically is, you know, people, the Chamorros on Guam, the native inhabitants or whatever you want to call them, they're the ones who have always been victims of history. Whether it was the Spanish, whether it was Americans, the Japanese and the Americans again, they've always been the victims. But ironically, today, some people feel that, no, we're not victims at all. Yeah. And that's, that's just weird to me because I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've experienced it and I can relate to those stories in the early 60s when black Southern people were being denied from registering to vote. And they were being asked all kinds of s stupid questions about, you know, who are all, how many judges do we have and what their names are, you know, it just made me realize what they went through because we're still going through it, you know. So I, I did a lot of awareness and I had started having meetings. I wanted to have meetings because I wanted to find out is there a way we can change the law so we can generate money because we didn't have money at that time because if you recall at that time we were $330 million in debt, the tax refunds haven't been paid, Vendors haven't been paid. We're just, you know, in a bad cash management uh, situation at that time. So finally, you know, three years later, 
finally get out of that $333 million deficit, finally have some positive cash flow that was based on good management, good money management. So I finally went into the governor and said, look, I toiled with this by myself, with no money for the first year. You know, I, I did get paid the second and third year, I had a salary, but no staff, no nothing. One man show. Hmm. And, you know, but we did a lot. We still went to the UN, we, we testified, we made recommendations that uh, we, we pounded it time and again about what needs to happen on Guam, you know, for the coming years in order for us to be effective. And, you know, we never missed any of those seminars. We went to the UN. Uh, I went, sometimes on my own money. Yeah. And I went and paid just to testify, you know, and, and keep, keep it alive because I think that once you don't show up, you know, you miss one of those meetings, then the opposition can say, take a picture of your empty chair and say, look, they're not interested, you know. So we did a lot. I mean, I did a lot for a one-man show, you know. But finally, you know, in 2014, I, I needed money to educate, which is the purpose of the commission. So we didn't have the money to educate, then I, I told the governor, shut me down, because you can't just pay me and no money to do anything. So the governor, you know, finally, uh, you know, he agreed. Started, we started getting money every year since 2014. Today we have over a million dollars to spend on education, and we have uh, part of that money is 300,000 from the Department of Interior. You know, and that's the first time they've ever given us any money. Wow. So that was a historic first. Another historic first is we had a high school debate mm -hmm. in April of 2015, I believe, and um, and that was a success. There were over 800 kids there. They got a basic introduction also about decolonization. Mm -hmm. And today, though, you can see now that this topic or this, this, this issue of decolonization is pretty much front and center. It's being talked a lot, a lot more than it was seven years ago, and it's been a lot more active than it's been for the last 27 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm proud that we got the ball rolling, you know, even with the one-man show, we were able to get some awareness. Yeah. We were able to heighten the issue. Uh, issues like the suit for Dave Davis, not being able to vote or register because he, he, wasn't, a, he wasn't a Chamorro. Mm -hmm. And the Neil Ware case uh, with We Are the People. Yeah. And then the other suit that's coming from the federal government about the Chamorro Land Trust. Those only helped to spurn the conversation on. It helped us. Now you have the Lektekteng uh, issue, which yeah. really... So those issues help, you know, help us, but um, you know, there's still a lot more work to do. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, so that's how I got busy with this, and that's how I became, went to the United Nations, started participating. And not only that though, we went out to the region. We went out to Palau, Okinawa, Taiwan, uh, Japan, Korea, and we, we started telling our story to officials out there and to people who would listen to us. And I think that regional support may have helped us in our recent resolution in the C4 committee. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, uh, you know, just passed last year. So that to me was very significant that we are now separate from everyone else on the decolonization listing who is a non-self-governing territory. I think that's significant, that's a big, big push. You know, I know we ruffled some feathers there, but you know, I think this, you know, Manny, um, when I look around Guam now, it's very different Guam than I grew up in. We have homeless people here. We have panhandlers that are asking for money. Some of them are tomorrows. But most of all, I noticed that all our village fiestas are pretty much going down the tube. Mm. 
you can take a village like anywhere in the south that used to be very strong and now when you go to the village the fiestas aren't prevalent like they used to be mm-hmm. you know so there are indicators to me that tell me that things are changing the language thank god there's a little resurgence now but for the longest time it was you know, nobody wanted to learn how to speak but i'm i'm proud to say that i'm happy i'm much better speaking than i used to be i'm not fluent yet but at least now I got a more thorough understanding of what what's being said. But I, I still need, you know, and it's a struggle. It's a struggle to do it when you're an adult. It's easier when you're a kid. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I see, you know. And, and now with Trump's new tax laws, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit scared for this island because we're supposed to make up, you know, between 40 and $100 million of lost taxes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we have a plan to do that. I'm sure you know there's there's some effort going on in the government to to level that out. But what does that say about what's happening here on Guam, where most of our people are leaving, yeah. they're not coming back, they're settling in the United States. In fact, today there are more people from Guam in the United States than there are here. And that's that's an indicator too, you know, of how things are on Guam. But this beautiful way of life we know, you know with this Inafa Maori this uh, sharing of what we have, this respect for each other, it's, it's going away. Mm-hmm. And that is what really brought our tourism here in the 60s and 70s, is the Japanese made friends with somebody, they came back. They had a good yeah. experience here from the people, they came back. You're not finding that anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of things need to change here. A lot of things need to be overhauled and rethought because what we're doing now is not it's not as effective as it was before. Mm-hmm. Fun in the sun, surf and turf. You can get that in Bali, you can get that in Thailand, you can get that in Hawaii, in Okinawa, yeah. and it's cheaper and there's more value. So we're not, we're not doing it right, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, man, as you were speaking, a lot, of, a lot of moments where I felt like I wanted to, to jump in, you know, like, spot on you know what you're saying um from oh i guess we'll work back from the village fiestas for for one i mean do you get the sense that there is like this like capitalization of uh of what a village fiesta is like instead of having uh more families um you know family contributions to the fiesta instead you're seeing uh, um you know like popular vendors that are there at the fiesta and uh you know they're there to to make a quick buck you know, off of these events, instead of, um, you know, promoting, you know, like, the social, the social aspects of it, you know? Yeah, you know, the, the fiestas were, were related to religion, mm-hmm. and you're really celebrating the patron saint of your village. Yeah. And what I see happening is before, like, a family that had 10 people in it, and they each had a fiesta, and they were insulted if they invited you, you didn't show up. Mm-hmm. But now those 10 people get together, and they have it at one house, right. you know, and that's it you know you don't see the prevalence of what you used to see and you know we and that was a time that we we all huddled together we cooked we chopped wood we you know we we labored for this thing and it was it was our way of showing the hospitality to the public and Mm. at that time you didn't need to be invited you just walk in and eat enjoy yourself you know hear the music whatever you want to do but that was a that was one of the most beautiful things that I remember growing up is that fiesta, those fiestas I went to in all the villages, but more so, it was the 
the, the guys in my village that I made really close relationships with, mm. but first we fought, honestly. I had to yeah. fight with everybody in my village. And, but once you fought, you became friends. If you had one soda and one barbecue potato chips, you know, pack, everybody got a share, right? I mean, it was all about everybody getting a share. If you needed some help at your house, your friends will come and help you. If they needed, and I remember this distinctly, my family is a fishing family. We are mm -hmm. familiar in Tembet. And when we caught fish, we would always make sure we got our share for our family. But whatever excess we had, we would go around the village and give shares to all our neighbors. Likewise, when we come home, there's a basket of cucumbers, avocado, all kinds of stuff. And so that's what I really loved about Guam is that utopian society of helping each other, everybody's looking out for each other. And it's a good and bad thing, right? You know, it's good to have that close, familiar relationship. Sometimes it's not a good thing. But I remember that as, wow, you know, because when I was born in, born in the States and I came here when I was 10, and the way it was over there is, well, you didn't have any money? Well, you don't eat. Mm, but yeah. here, someone will treat you. Someone will, will make sure you're taken care of, you know? And it was totally different. And I, and I, I hated it when I came to Guam at first because there's no Sears, no Montgomery Wards, no Diddlers, no Escalator, no fresh milk, mm -hmm. right? When I came here, that's how it was. But man, there was so much more to enjoy here mm. than that. And once I got, became assimilated into that, I loved Guam. And I still love Guam today. Although it's changed so much, it's still my home. When I get off that plane, you know, and they open the door and the humidity hits you, yeah, I know I'm home. Yeah. How much uh, of the, this, um, the erosion of the family structure do you think is tied to, um, you know, the economy, like uh, um, inflation and then, um, you know, having to work, uh, you know, more than one job just to, to sustain yourself, you oh. know? And, uh, all these things, like there's less time to spend with your family members. and um... Right, we have become so westernized. Mm. And, and, and this, what we're experiencing today was happening in the States 20, 30 years ago. You know, we, we're just get, you know, we, we've been assimilating this in the last 20, 30 years maybe. I'm sorry. You know, it was in the States already where, where people, both husband and wife were working. Things were at a much faster pace. And that's one thing I joined when I came here it wasn't fast paced, it was pretty slow, island style. Yeah. But you're right, the, the family uh, dynamic has, has really been affected by progress and change, which, which you know, there are trade-offs. You know, you, and, and any time you're, you're gonna advance or you're learning something new, there's always a trade-off with this. And, and I think that's one thing our people need to understand is while we, have to, while we give up some things to get some things, we have to understand there are trade-offs. Mm. But I always believe that the very basic elements that make us a people, an indigenous people, our language, our culture, our customs, those things need to be mainstream. They need to, be, they need to stay. Those other things, the knowledge that we have, uh, that like resources that we used to have, those are gone because now there's houses, now there's mm -hmm. commercial buildings on those, and there's really not a lot of natural resource. Th those are the things we trade off. But our language, our customs, and our, um, I said something else, there was a third one. Did you Language, customs, uh, cultural practice. Any of our, uh, our Patreon uh, subscribers, anyone watching uh, on the live stream right now, they can actually, um, you, can, you can live chat with us too. So if you remembered what Ed said yeah. uh, those moments ago, then. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, a, I'm a senior citizen. Yeah, I, chime you know, in. I don't <laughs> have to remember anything anymore. But yeah, you know, Manny, you know, getting back to the point, 
the, the family structure has really diminished. Yeah. Because, you know, both husband and wife work. The kids, a lot of times, are pretty much latchkey until mm-hmm. 6 p.m. At that time, when the mother and father come home, they're tired, you know, it's just, you know, get ready for bed and do, do it all again the next day. Yeah. And that's what it was. I remember when someone came to my house, it was a two, three hour visit. You know, you talk, my mom would cook, they would, you know, they would talk and catch up on whatever the news was all around the island. That's what it was. It was a two, three hour visit, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and almost daily, people would come, you know. People would come to my house because they're in the area or they're friends. But now, you come, you, you, you get to what you need, and 10, 15 minutes, you're out the door. There's, no, there's not that time for that connection anymore. Yeah. So, and, and the family you know, has dissipated because you see now that people leave Guam for various reasons, whether they have family problems, job opportunities, uh, you know, bet, you know, other economic uh, opportunities. People on Guam, you know, uh, have, have had to leave for various reasons. Also, coupled with that is the brain drain that we still continue to experience. We're all our best and brightest who are given financial aid to go off island and become experts at something. Yeah. Realize they can't come back because there's no job or it doesn't pay enough or whatever it is. So, you know, these things were all calculated. They, they didn't just happen mm. to me by happenstance. Yeah. These were all calculated to divide and conquer us right. and assure that, you know, we would continuously be dependent on the United States. Mm. Now, let me make one thing clear, Manny. Yeah. I'm not anti-U.S. Yeah, yeah. But I think, though, we're old enough now since 1950 to make our own success and make our own failures. Mm. That, to me, is in a nutshell what we should be doing internally with anything internal to our island we should be allowed to say what happens and if we're successful then it's our success if we fail then it's our failure and not someone doing it for us yeah so man the you brought up the the solomon report and um you know uh even after that, you, you mentioned a lot of real life instances where you can you can see and feel uh, you know colonization, you know, and um, I think that's really important because you know in in the public discourse, whenever you talk about decolonization, there are people who still believe that we're not colonized. There are people who believe uh, we're a territory and that's something to be appreciated. You know, and uh, when you when you mention decolonization, you're like, you guys are just ungrateful. We're not being oppressed. All these things, but you know, as you say in the Solomon Report, um, it clearly outlines um, strategies for for the takeover. You know, well, to divide and, um, and conquer, and divide to keep and us conquer, dependent. and keep us dependent. Yeah, keep us dependent on the United States. Which which everything yeah. that was in that report, I see today. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and one one of the. Um, the examples that I always go back to because, um, you know, I was a healthcare reporter for some time at the Pacific Daily News and then also the Guam Daily Post is, uh, you know, the state of the, the public hospital, you know, um, it's in deplorable condition. I mean, if you go there, you'll probably live like if uh, your condition is like non-lethal, you know, like you can trust you probably won't get an infection or something. And like die out of nowhere if it wasn't already expected but you know like it shouldn't be like that you know we shouldn't the ho- the hospital itself shouldn't be in a cash crunch especially for such a vital um need service, yeah. a vital service yeah. you know let me respond to that mm-hmm. 
You know, and, that, and, this, and I'm glad you brought that up. This is a prime example of the farces that exist on Guam. The military uh, reports are that you know, billions of dollars are spent every year. Same as tourism, it's a billion dollar industry. Hmm. But you know, if you really look at it, and, 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 and there's a commercial about tourism, yeah. and it talks about $150 million, million dollars staying on Guam. Doesn't that alarm you to say, well, where's the other uh, 850? Right, yeah. Well, it goes back to where it came from, right? It goes back to those Japanese hotels and businesses that booked the trip over there, flew over here on a Jap Japan, Japan, uh, Japanese airline, staying in a Japanese hotel, taking a Japanese tour, and sending their money back to corporate back in Japan. Mm -hmm. Same as the military. Yeah. Those contractors that come here, those huge contractors, they're not from Guam. They're not, you know, they're not doing, you know, they're not from here. So they come here, they get these huge contracts. You think they circulate the money on? I think the estimates are what, 300 million stays here and 700 million goes back or whatever it is. But the point is, it's a very lopsided mm. ratio. Yeah. And, if, and, if it, and this hospital is a great example of, if it truly was a billion dollar industry for both tourism mm. and military spending, do you think we'd have a hospital problem? No, we won't. Right, right. We would not have a hospital yeah. problem. But we wouldn't have to exploit, um, you know, uh, pediatric uh, uh, healthcare doctors, um, you know, crying in the legislature in order to make a case for, um, you know, more funding at the hospital, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we wouldn't have to do that, and yeah. you know, and 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 it it just it's just a prime example. It's a yeah. good example of if there really is this kind of money coming to Guam. Now, why are we having problems with our schools? Why are we having problems with the hospital? Yeah. Why are we having problems? And you know, I hate to say it, but you know, borrowing the money is a good thing. You know, to 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 take care of the problem short term. Mm -hmm. But there has to be a long term solution. Right. You know, there has to be. You know, and I'm sure this administration right now is coming up with ways to generate revenue to try to level this off. But I hope so, especially like you mentioned the the, the new tax bill. I mean, things are. Yeah probably only going to get worse, you know? Yeah, you know, and so, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, yeah. been, I've been thinking about this, you know, critically for the last, you know, six, seven months that what's going to happen to us, you know? Is it going to get to the point where we now have to grow our own vegetables, raise our own chickens and eggs and pigs because going to supermarkets to get it might get just too expensive mm -hmm. for a lot of us? You know, and that, and that was very typical back in the 60s and 70s. Everybody had a little ranch. Yeah. You know, everybody was doing that. And that helped out with the economy. But I see that kind of coming around full circle, that that might be the case, mm. you know. And I mean, well, I mean, that may not be such a bad thing. I mean, that's that's sort of the direction that, that food is going anyway. People want to grow their own, that's their right. own that, stuff, that's right? That's happening throughout the world. But I mean, what you're saying is this might be the catalyst for yeah. a desire for change, a mainstream desire I for change. I think you'll be forced right? to do it. Yeah. You'll be forced to start learning how to grow your own vegetables and, and, and raise chickens mm -hmm. and eggs so you can, you can augment level off what you're going to spend at the supermarkets. Yeah. And you remember, you know, Trump is cutting us. Mm -hmm. Food stamps probably going to be cut again. You know, the tax, the tax, new tax laws is not, not to our favor. Right, right. So, you know, and, and we're already in debt, right? It's, yeah. it's, to begin with, we're already in debt, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, this, this will compound the situation. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I guess that's where 
uh, we turn our conversation towards uh, cryptocurrencies. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. May, that might be too soon. But you know what, man? Um, I wanted to share uh, something with you, and that's, um, I don't know, I never expect uh, others, other people to remember me unless like I've, I've hung out with you maybe like five times or more. But um, one of the first times, uh, or the first time I met you actually, was uh, as a reporter at the Pacific Daily News. That's right. And uh, you know, I, I had been interested in decolonization long, well before that. But I mean, my knowledge of the Commission on Decolonization itself uh, was non-existent in 2014 as a reporter, as a budding reporter. Um, and you know, my beat, as I as I mentioned, was uh, healthcare. Um, we were understaffed, and um, it, I think it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. But uh, the commission was having a meeting. We're supposed to have a meeting. Yeah. Steve uh, Limtiako, the uh, the editor, yeah. he he sent me there, yeah. and uh, he he gave me a really quick uh, rundown of you know what to expect and what what the commission does, uh-huh. all these things. But he he sent me there. Um, sort of like or i mentioned your name you know because i read some some old articles and stuff and you know he 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 gave me uh some background on you with with a lot of sarcasm and like oh they don't the commission doesn't do anything blah 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 this guy at alvarez and uh so there was already this uh this an antagonistic uh, stance yeah. you know from from someone uh, high up in in local media, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what he sent me there with, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand why, you know, all those things sounded sounded uh, wonderful. Commission on decolonization, mm-hmm. good, you know, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and I remember talking to you, and uh, I mentioned my editor Steve Steve uh, Limtiako, and you're like, oh yeah, you know that guy, like I know what he wants, like mm-hmm. you already knew what to expect. Um, did I, you have a contentious relationship with the media? Me? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. At times I did when. I know, I know, let me let me I'm glad you asked me that question because yeah. I've been wanting to have a venue to vent this out Good. but historically <laughs> the media has been very very slighted yeah with with decolonization you know they have been you know I mean when they were the only media with cable news at that time I think PDM was the only newspaper mm. you know and, and I can say this freely now that I'm retired you know they they so they got so far away what journalism supposed journalism supposed to be about fairness you know and non-bias yeah and and it was historic you know that that was another thing that really opened my eyes like look how slanted and un, you know biased these people are you know they they totally take things and you know they have true things and you know you know all the tricks right yeah and, yeah and, and 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 by the way when i read your article i wasn't mad at you <laughs> yeah because i know well, I, I already knew i already knew the scoop you yeah. were just doing and and you don't you don't control it was the editors and then right. those are the people who so you know and and with Steve I, I totally understand why he feels that way because he's raised in a colonized society uh-huh. and that's the thing with us you know if you're raised in that colonized those people who say we should be quiet we should just you know go to our rooms and uh, be be satisfied and do whatever they say those are all people who are raised within this colonized society you know it takes it takes a lot of thinking and and and. Um, and reflection to say, hey, wait a minute, man, it's mm-hmm. not right. Yeah, you know, and and that's and that and that when that solemn report and all the things that I learned about the United States, whether it was a military or foreign affairs around the world, and I realize I realize this, Manny, you don't get to be number one by being honest and fair. Mm-hmm. You've got to have an underbelly. I see. And that's really what it is, you know. Now, is that fair for us? No, it's not. You know, should we? Should we have that right to determine what happens to us internally? 
I think we should, right? I think we should make our own mistakes and our own successes. Mm. You know, why isn't that being done? Well, two reasons, the military and politics. Yeah. But that's wrong to commit on an agreement on the UN Charter saying you want to decolonize all your territorial possessions and colonies, but then you give no end date. Mm -hmm. That was a problem. There's no end date, you know. While everybody else in this region has gotten has become has gone through the decolonization process, we have not. Along with uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Well, I'm sort of talking about our region. Yeah. So and I, and that that's alarming to me. That should be alarming to everybody. Is you know what's wrong with us? It's the same thing with war reparations. Why are we the only ones who don't get it? Yeah. I don't understand that. They paid everybody else. You know whether they, you know they even paid the hostages from Iran war reparations, and that, that's. That's bad for, for us who've been waiting for more than 60, 70 years, and they get it a lot yeah. sooner than us. So, you know, those inequities, you know, and I'm a guy that I love, I love fairness, right, as much as you can. I, I just can't fathom why we can't do this. Mm. It's something that has been committed to us, something that has World War, you know, roots. You know, this is the reason why decolonization exists, because major countries in the world realize the major cause of war historically has always been nationalism. It's been one country going into another country or island nation and imposing its political will and body politic. That's what it's been. Yeah. So the United Nations, when they formed, said, hey, you know what, how do we stop that? Let's decolonize everybody. Mm. And, and sure enough, it has been a big success, you know, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, right, and 70, all the way up to the 90s. But in the last, this is now, we're on the third decade of the eradication of the eradication of colonialism yeah. you know we're still you know we're yeah. still and enlarging the reason why the 17 non self governing territories are on this list is because there's no major country mm. there's no china no japan no nobody there's only a bunch of little small island nations that i think the world and the un the us think is well wait you know there's no rush yeah but it is a rush from us because the longer we wait the more our culture dissipates the more our island becomes unrecognizable for a lot of us. And this beautiful way of life mm -hmm. that people for decades have loved is disappearing. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you mentioned this, uh, again, like going back to the Solomon Report, um, I'm, I'm making my way through uh, David Vine's book, um, Base Nation, which uh, our uh, Maget here is, uh, is uh, cited in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But um, you know, he talks about uh, the Barber Doctrine um, and how, I think, in, in the late 40s or in the 50s, um, what was then uh, a little boy who was fascinated with, uh, with uh, maps of uh, British colonies mm -hmm. in, in the Pacific and, uh, and around the world, um, he later became a, um, a, a Navy um, admiral or something, mm -hmm. and who, who, uh, he, he took his fascination and he, he shaped what is now um, uh, widespread uh, um, military policy, like yeah. international policy, and that's you colonize these islands with uh, um, these isolated, small populations, and, um, you know, that's where you, you establish your power, and that's how you project your power uh, across the world, you know. And, you know, the system, uh, David Vine, he, he makes the conclusion that uh, the, the system is outdated. There's no need for these... Uh, hundreds of bases to be around the world yeah. and um, yeah it's costing uh, uh, US taxpayers money and it's also as we're experiencing ourselves um, um, mass oppression of indigenous peoples and in the case of Diego Garcia uh, the, the total Chiago, the Chiago people yeah yeah I know all about that mm -hmm. yeah 
that, so, that that was that was just messed up. Yeah, you know that I you, think you stop goods and commodities 70s. from coming. Yeah, to the and so they they were starving and they were thirsty and they they had to get off the island. And then the British made a rule that hey, you mm-hmm. get off the island, you can't come back. Mm-hmm. So that's what they did. They just attrition them by by leaving yeah. until at the behest left. of the United States right, for sixteen million bucks. Yeah, so. God, and to think, there's, there's only like the book. They have um, like black and white photos, and uh, you know when you when you read that these this just occurred, you know, in the 70s. That's you're right. like, what the hell? Like what the hell, right? Yeah. yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. You know, it's what is also amazing is that did you know that there were Chamorros in the Civil War? No shit. There was really. Yeah, I have a I have a file of the register uh-huh. of these soldiers. And they refer to them as, you know, they said they were from Guam, and they refer to their color as copper tone. Interesting. Yeah, and they, they were there at that time for the whaling industry, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm sure there were probably a lot of them, uh, were, there were many more that we don't know about. But, you know, it's just interesting on which side they took, the Confederate or the, uh, uh, what is it, mm. the other, what was the other party? <laughs> <laughs> I know there was a Confederate. Uh, yeah. I don't, Confederate. I don't think it was the Yankees. <laughs> I have no idea. But, but it was interesting get... to, you know, like, wow, we, we were in the military long before we even thought we were in the military. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's still no, mm-hmm. you know, I, there's still no no recognition of that. I mean, you know, for the Vietnam War, we won't, we lost the most men per capita. Mm. There's no memorial, no nothing for us. Yeah. You know, in fact, our veterans to this day, which includes a lot of the Vietnam vets, still having a big struggle yeah. getting benefits that really their counterparts in the United States have gotten years and years before them. And one of the things that really uh, grabbed me at the, um, the Azuda event that we had, were you, were, no, were you able to stop by? Yeah. yeah, well, um, a lot of the, the men that I spoke to, the older men, like they'd served in Vietnam and uh, they still felt this, uh, this patriotism yeah. for the United States. But on the other hand of that, they also felt this this uh, deep cutting betrayal, yeah. and um, yeah. you know, it's really sad. Yeah, my dad is one yeah. of them. Those vets, you know, that feels an affinity still to the United States, and because I'll tell you this, I don't know if you knew this, but right before World War II, I think it was in 1941, there was an article by a, an American naval admiral who was saying that, oh, the people of Guam, they don't want to change, you know, they just want to be like they are, they have no, they have no, you know, uh, ambition to be more American, mm-hmm. you know. But then, remember, the, the war happened. And just in those two and a half years that the Japanese w- were here, that changed. Yeah. And that was just amazing that the Japanese did it in two and a half years that took the Americans, they were doing it for almost 40 years, and they couldn't get it done, but in, in two and a half years, you see this pa- patronage, you know. Yeah. to the United States because and my dad was there in the war and he told me the reason why is because what he experienced during that war was something that no child or anyone should ever see so he looked at the Americans coming back as rescuing them mm. not liberating them but rescuing them for that from those atrocities which were true you know my dad was living proof I know I've documented all the stories that he told me of what happened to him, his family. Mm-hmm. And my dad was very, very grateful to the Americans for doing that. So he felt, he felt an obligation to give yeah. back. But now my dad's becoming more an edu- educated and he, everything I tell him, he goes around telling people. So, you know, that's not, you know, we're not trying to be anti-American. Yeah, yeah. We're not trying to be, you know, but you know, I, I can't emphasize it. We, 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 sometimes if you're nice, you don't get anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you've got you know, you've, you've to really yell. 
You know, we've yet to really do that. But I'm not anti-American, but I just think it's time. You know, we, we, we have enough expertise. We have enough business acumen. We have enough to get this island to where we want it to be and not where someone else wants us to be. Yeah. That's all I'm asking for. Just give us our chance to be ourselves and to preserve what people love about us. Because the way that everything is being worked on, worked, working out now, it's not happening. I see. Not happening. So now that you are, you're, you're no longer the executive director, I mean, I have to ask, uh, out of the three options, what, what, what is your preferred status and I'll, why? I'll tell you this with a great degree of certainty. Any one of those three statuses <laughs> are better than what we have now. Yeah. What we have now is, is perpetual colonialism. Mm -hmm. you know, I, and I, you know, to me, I, I would just be happy to get any one of those three. You know, yeah. I can't say that because my good friend Mike's here. And he, <laughs> might, he, might get, he might disown me because I, I choose something else. Yeah. Well, no state anything but state. <laughs> yeah. So, and I have to ask too, I mean, like you mentioned, um, you know, being at UOG and reading about the Solomon Report, uh, and then you sort of jumped into uh, your relationship with Calvo. Was he also, uh, was he in your circle as well? Was he reading the Solomon Report uh, with no, you? He no, he didn't. He didn't. He was going to school off island, so he didn't. He didn't. But I, I hooked up with uh, one of the di first directors, mm -hmm. Leland Bettis. Okay. I hooked up with him, and I, I learned so much off what was going on, because he was the direct the executive director of the commission on self-determination at that time we were going to school i see and i learned a lot about you know what was going on what how how it continued to go on and the history just, just the history is just so fascinating about what has happened to us how we still survived but now we're you know we're at a critical juncture mm -hmm. in our in our history where either we save it yeah make a concerted effort to save it or it goes away and we become like everybody else. We'll, we'll be nothing special. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's what I see. A lot of a lot of kids that I, you know, come for, to Guam for the summer, they're they're fascinated that we have a language, that we wear sanahis, that we have a culture, because when we're out there, they're just a number. You know, they're just anyone else. But when they come here and they say, "Wow, we got a language! Oh my God, we got a language! Holy cow! We we, we do things that not other people do. I mean, we have custom. Oh my God!" Yeah. You know, so I'm glad that there's this resurgence, you know, and I'm glad there's this appreciation, but this appreciation needs to be nurtured a lot more. It needs to come out in our natural selves like it can. And I think once you get that concerted effort, there's a chance that we can save this beautiful way of life that I've come to love. Yeah. Being raised, born and raised till I was 10 years old in the States. I, mean, I, I love Guam. You know, I love, I love what this island stands for. But I, I don't want to ever find out that it doesn't stand for that anymore because of reasons or, or because of uh, the lack of control that we have internally. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like, how how do you how do you think we do that? And like, let's say, let's say a decade from now. I mean, fingers crossed, hopefully sooner. But I mean, a, a decade from now, uh, we we decolonize. Yeah. Um, how do we maintain our culture and language? How, how was that happening to you in your mind? To me, it, it all has to start in the schools. Okay. Right? You, you get our story out in the schools. I think, I think now there'd be more of an urgency to save it. Because uh, when, I, when I heard about what happened to us, I was very infuriated. And to this day, I'm still very passionate. Yeah. So that worked for me, you know. 
Uh, I think that the story has to get out in the schools. That the, the language has to be has to be more fortified. We, you know, we we've had tomorrow language programs in the schools for the last 30, 40 years, but it has never produced one fluent speaker. Mm. And that's because there's not enough time. You know, there's 1,500 minutes I think of English. Maybe you get 200 minutes a week of tomorrow. That's not a time. We we've got to have a more concerted effort. If not, then there has to be organizations that form that that focus on this, you know, like, like um, and was it Marie, at Hurao Academy, where, you know, you, you immerse yourself in Chamorro and in, you know, these little kids, I'm just so fascinated that they can actually speak, mm-hmm. you know, like Mike Babakwa's daughter, she can speak. Yeah. And that's what, that's what motivated me to learn more, is like, this little girl can speak better than me. No, man, I gotta, I gotta try, right? <laughs> and and it, like I said, as an adult, it's, it's hard. It's hard because, our lives are a lot faster now, quicker, and there's a lot of still a lot of English in it, right? Yeah. You know, so so I think that that first of all has to happen. Second of all, there has to be the recognition of our, us as a people in the global community. There has to be a recognition that we are unique, and we shouldn't try to be like everybody else. We really should be ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with being like someone else, but you can never forget who you really are. Yeah. And that that's what I see happening. I see. So um, I want to take a break here, but uh, you and Miguel are, are welcome to talk amongst yourselves. Sure, sure, uh, sure. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, I'll switch. Okay. okay. Although, thankfully, I'm not on the live feed. <laughs> Is that okay, Manny? Pretty good? Oh, yeah. Awesome. And so, it's on. Go on, Esti Machina. Oh, yeah. Hold on. They're still recording, and the live stream is still going, but. I think at, I think Manny will edit out the part where he said he had to leave somebody on Bungui. Oh, see, Manny said. But let's. Uh, Was I okay? Oh, okay. And let's actually go into the to the UN now. Okay. Let's talk about that sort of stuff because um, so you know, in the just as a reminder to our listeners out there, the. The movement for decolonization or self-determination has been going on for a long time. It has different periods. So, you know, around the time of the drafting of the Constitution, there's a lot of energy around it, and then it kind of dissipates. The government takes over, tries to negotiate commonwealth, and there's different peaks and valleys in that movement. Then commonwealth fails, and then it disappears for a while. That's where we get the time where the Guterres administration says we're going to vote on this, and then it doesn't happen. And then we have the long, empty sort of Camacho years. Where, almost almost where, 20 years. Where very little happens during the Camacho administration on this front, at least in terms of government. And then now we get to the point where sort of in the first half of Calvo, there's not so much, but in the second half, there's, there's a lot more activity yeah. in terms of... Uh, in terms of his, uh, his approach. Now, one of the things that has definitely come back, especially in 2017, but also throughout your term on the commission, was UN engagement. Was that when the, during the time of the Commonwealth negotiations, you know, there was, people were going to the UN in the time, um, around the time that the Constitution was, was voted down, people were going to the UN at that time, and then, during the Camacho administration, it's where we kind of disappear from the UN's radar. There's some efforts, uh, some efforts to go, but really in the in the mind of sort of the 
the consciousness of the United Nations. We we don't we we don't care. We're we're kind of like those other small islands, you know, where there's like five thousand people who clearly don't care about the issue. And so it's easy for the United States to say this is not an important issue because we don't show up to yeah. complain about it. We don't show up to to say our piece. Yeah. And so. But when you come in, that's when sort of the government starts to get involved right. for the first time. Yeah. Um, and so talk about sort of your experiences then, going to the regional seminars, going to the Committee of 24, the fourth committee. Got it. Yes, sir. Yes, Mike. <laughs> yes, Benigahi. Okay, Sigi. Sigi Bona. She shall be after No, no, so and now if I send her. So that's my question. We can do Okay. Well, as. I didn't know we were live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, just to answer your question, sorry we're being a little bit comical here, but let me get serious. So, you know, one of the things that um, I thought of, you know, coming into office in 2011 was the lack of participation we've had in the United Nations, whether it be in the UN regional seminars or whether it be in the C4, the C24 committees in New York. Um, so I took it upon myself to find out, you know, when this, when, when is the seminar, found out that a lot of times our invitation was given to the Department of Interior, who was supposed to give it to us, but it kind of like stayed there, got lost. <laughs> so I had a good friend of mine give me the invitation, you know, via email. Then I communicated with the guys who were sending the emails, right? So I got close to the, the, the um, support group for the, for the, for the for the United Nations, then I I decided okay let's go let's go to the first uh, my first seminar which is in the Saint Vincent Islands in the Caribbean, and uh, I went up there and I testified you know and started reviewing and renewing our interest within this committee. I also at that time I started making friendships and, and networking with uh, people that I. I come to know as you know straight shooters, and they they, they they said that they wanted to help us. So, namely, those were member states from Venezuela, Argentina, uh, Fiji. Uh, there was another Fiji, Papua New Guinea. We started staffing with them, you know. Then that same year in 2011, after the after the seminar, I went to the C C4 committee meeting, did the same thing over there, and uh, this was along. The same time I was uh, spreading our word regionally, you know, with interviews for Radio Australia, Formosa TV Taiwan, Shimbo News in Japan, the uh, Okinawan Shimbun in, in in Okinawa, and I really felt that these 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 interviews regionally had a lot to do with, you know, rising this issue up to the United Nations. Um, so the, the seminars were were a time for us to participate, to show that we were interested, and to continue uh, our interest and network with uh, people over there. Um, so finally, you know, when we got out of that big financial rut we were in in 2011, we started getting some money. Uh, then Speaker Judy Wampat and uh, the member of the commission, Roy Spicio, uh, were instrumental in helping us you know, get money for the next three years. Uh, we now have over a million dollars. We, for the first time in our history, we have $300,000 from the uh, Department of Interior, courtesy of uh, Esther Kayana. And um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's nice to know that we finally have that kind of money. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, with our procurement process, we have a difficult time spending it. And, you know, we don't want the money to run out uh, for, the, for the federal side. For the local side, it's in perpetuity until it's spent, only for the education program, not for anything else. Yeah. So, you know, these efforts now can go toward starting to get messaging out there about what this is about, who it affects, why is it important, and why do the people of Guam, the people of Guam, get to decolonize? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting, because I, uh, um, I have been to some of the regional seminars that uh, Ed is talking about here, and it's a, it's a very interesting experience because um, all of the things on, you know, all of the things, most everything on Guam tells us that Uncle Sam is your best friend. Uncle Sam is, is good. Uncle Sam is great. It's kind of like, you know, like sitting in church. America is good. America is great. Yeah. And, then, and then you go into the international arena, and that's where you see a very different side of the United States. And... Um, so, for example, if you go to the UN, the UN apparatus, and you basically say, you know, we're from Guam, we're trying to get our story out there, we would like to be decolonized, we want to join the rest of the world as, as a self-governing political entity, the United States will not respond to you, not take your calls, they will reject you, they will talk against you, they will work against you. Yeah. But then what you find is that all of the countries that you were told by the media or by your school or by your, mm. your uncle who fought in Vietnam, <laughs> you're told by all of them are, that they're bad. Those are the ones that are like, come and meet with me. Let's talk. Yeah. Let, uh, let us hear your story. We want to help you. That's so true. You know, and I, I, I think you were with me on some of those trips where we, we had meetings with like Venezuela, Argentina. Mm -hmm. we, we, we started continuing our dialogue from years past. And a lot of, uh, you know, the resolutions that, or the recommendations we made that eventually made it into a resolution were from our testimonies, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm happy, you know, that uh, the, the, the large contingent that went to the C4 was able to get a resolution, you know. And I, I have to say for the record, it doesn't matter who did it, you know, whether it was, you know, like people get all mad because it's the independence people that made it happen or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. What matters is, it's us. Mm -hmm. This is us. Whether it's one segment of us, it's still us. And so, you know, I'm happy that all those years of work and testimony and, you know, and if I'd have known that we needed to take 20 people, I would have paid for everybody to go. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was just me and you a lot of times, you know, over there. And uh, you, you as the expert, me as the government, uh, governor's representative. But I think we did a great job in, in representing our issues, mm -hmm. making re recommendations to, to take care of those issues and to start meeting and networking with all the member states of the C24 and the C4. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think what, what made the big difference was that uh, experts and government representatives had started going back to the UN after that big gap, started putting it out there. But one of the problems is in the, you know, the UN works like a bureaucracy. So if you, if you have a if you have a congressional hearing and one person shows up and says everybody in the world supports this, the, most of your average elected official is going to look and say, but it's just you here. Like, yeah. really, everyone supports this? Everyone wants this to happen? I mean, only Donald Trump gets to talk like this. Everybody's behind me. Yeah. Everybody believes this. It's fake. It's fake. But, and so, 
it made a difference then when you get a bunch of people who testify at the fourth committee and then they see, whoa, wait a second, actually, this is this is quite significant because mm-hmm. as, as, as we've both experienced and others who've gone to the UN have experienced in terms of the colonies, the non-self-governing territories, there's two types. There's three if you want to separate it out. There's Western Sahara, and then there's everybody else. There's everybody else. If you yeah. wanted to say the Malvinas or the Falkland Islands yeah. are a separate category, that's true too. It's a sovereignty dispute. Yeah. But so Western Sahara gets a hundred people on differing sides to come out and testify, and it and then for the other territories, the non-self-governing territories, almost no one comes out. Yeah. Like the first year that I went to the fourth committee to testify. I looked at the list and it said that they were going to do these these like three territories ahead of Guam. So I was like, oh good, I have time to practice. They said, anybody here for this territory? Tadza. Anyone here for this territory? Tadza. Anyone here for this territory? Tadza. Guam. Michael Babuvazavava. <laughs> and I was like, oh damn. I had to get up there now. <laughs> and then I had to go and testify. Because yeah. no one was there from American Samoa or Virgin Islands or any of the other places. And so... It did make a difference for them just to see that there is something behind this. It's not just like one person going and saying this is the situation. Yeah, and I and I talk a lot to the the, the delegates from those other uh, territories, and a lot of times they would tell me this never got an invitation. Mm. Sometimes they would, but most of the times they you know they wouldn't. I mean, it's the same thing that happened to us in 2011. I I had an inkling that the the regional seminars were in May or June. But once March came around and there was no invitation, that, that prompted me to call somebody that I knew, who we both know, but we won't mention, <laughs> and say, hey, you know, where's our invitation? And for that person got back and said, it's been out since February. How come you haven't gotten it? I said, well, find out where it is or can you send us one ourselves? So from then on, it was just a direct invitation rather than going to the interior, you know. So, yeah, you know, and I, I'm happy. I'm happy that we got a chance to be on this stage in the regional seminars, you know, whether it was in the Atlantic or Pacific, and the and the and the New York uh, trips we took for the C4 and the C24, I'm glad that you know, even though it was a one-man show, sometimes you came along with me. At least we had representation. At least, at least we're effective in in crafting out some very wise recommendations that eventually came into the resolution. Oh yeah, and so uh, I think um, it is looking into the future though. It'll be very interesting to see because um, we've come to this point um, with with some government support, with a lot of community sort of action from independent Guahan in particular. Mm-hmm. We've come to this point, and now we have an election coming up, and we gotta sort of see who, who you know, where are the leaders? You know, who is gonna, who has the vision to really keep it going? You know, not the not the vision to kind of just say, well. Because, you know, we're at that point now where it would be so easy for the next administration, because this is usually what happens in governments, as new administration comes in, they say, what well, they liked this, well, I don't like it. We're not going to do it. I mean, let's look at, look at Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump hates everything that Obama touched. Mm-hmm. You say Obama sat in that chair, he's like, ew, zoot the SD, throw this away. Yeah. Get rid of this chair. Yeah, I know, get rid of it. Satan sat there. It's fake. <laughs> and so... Um, but we can see because we can really build off of we can really build off of this, and so, um, you know, last year and then this year, you know, me personally, in my PDN column in public forums, I've always putting it on the candidates for governor. You know, what is your plan? 
what is your plan? Are you going to kind of take the position where you, where you know the the enlightened, the productive position where you understand that our political status is connected into everything? Or are you going to take the usual Guam politician position, which is where political status is? Is, is something way on the side and I only got to think about it maybe maybe during Chamorro month or mm-hmm. maybe if, if Howard Hemsing or Trudy Torres stop by my office. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, you know, I, I, I got I to gotta think I, like I'm an American. We're just, a, mm-hmm. we're just a regular part of the United States. Whereas you know, I, that's, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said that, Mike, because I wanted to uh, point out something. It seems that we're Chamorro or we practice our Chamorro culture when it's Festpac, when a Japanese school comes to Guam and we show them our hospitality. But why is it that after that we go back to where we were? Mm. We, don't, we don't continue it. You know, Festpac was a good, you know, was a good showing of us being Chamorros. But after that, it died. You know, it's just everyone goes back to wherever they, whatever they were doing. And that has to change. You know, if we want to s- preserve our, our way of life, then it has to be our way of life every day. It can't just be part time, mm-hmm. you know, and th- and that's what I see. I mean, I see like when, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm a fine example of it. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, above it. But you know, when like Okinawan professors come with their students, or they come with a research team, and we bring them to our house and we we show them, right? But then after that, when they leave, they go back to being, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, couch potato, yeah, couch, couch potato, <laughs> and you know, that that just shouldn't be like that. We really should, we really should. Um, practices every day not not just part-time yeah I think uh, what you said rings very true it's a lot of it is 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 colonial and just you know this idea that you know the United States is is always sort of hovering around us and a lot of stuff we don't got to take seriously because the United States is always there and it's it's you know we see that in the way the government operates we see that in the way the school system operates in the way that all of us kind of operate it's like we don't gotta take care of ourselves we don't gotta promote ourselves we don't gotta do all this or that and it's like no that's look at all these other countries in the world yeah you gotta that's the thing is if you're if you're proud if you care about where you come from and what you are in the world then you'll you'll take care of it you won't wait for Right. I mean, remember when we went and saw Tommy Remengosau in Palau Mm -hmm. with Yasukatsu Matsushima from Okinawa. I mean, he he laid it out so perfectly simple. Our success is our success. Our failure is our failure. But at least it's us succeeding and failing Mm -hmm. and not someone else doing it for us. That, that, That whole meeting that we had with him, that was the one thing I took away from it that was so profound that and he's right, you know. He's, he's just absolutely spot on. And only someone who has been through that colonial process would know that. Yeah. And I mean, Guam could definitely follow in that example. Like, and but we just kind of got to break out of that mindset. We do. We have to yeah. break out of this mindset that we pull each other down, mm. or we have jealousy for someone, for someone's expertise or someone's, you know, acumen. We have to stop that. We have to understand that we're a limited group of people who have so much potential and if we don't use that potential then it's just a big waste mm. you know it's just a big waste and and nothing good can come out of it and that's and that's that's what we have to do we've, we've got to change the way we think about us yeah, amen Viva. but this is the beginning of 2018 
and I am wondering what I will sound like at the beginning of 2019. I wonder <laughs> if I will be sobbing into this microphone yeah. and saying, everything got worse. Mm -hmm. Or I wonder if I'll be saying, I don't know how I feel, but Guam is about to be sold to the Chinese by the Trump administration. Or who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows what's going to happen? But um, we've made a lot of progress. Yeah. Works in cycles. Social movements, political movements always work in cycles. You have to push it as far as you can before there's a retraction, a regression. Um, and then there's a look it up, you keep fighting and you push again. And so from my perspective, you know, what, what we got to do is, is push this as far as we can because the consciousness has been raised. It can always drop back down because that's why, you know, you'll have people who are kind of still stuck in the 80s. They'll be like, when do I get to vote on Commonwealth again? And you're like, oh, I a day. Or why, why isn't Commonwealth a choice? Yeah. People that are just kind of stuck in, you know, yeah. they're they're kind of cute in that way. They're like, it's like an archaeological dig. You you dig up, yeah. you dig up this this elderly Chamorro man, and yeah. you're like half a day, and he's like, hey, 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 I'm gonna vote on the Constitution tomorrow. <laughs> oh no, you're 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 actually not gonna do that. Oh, why not? <laughs> and so, but because I I really think that we can push it. And one of the things that we do with Fanatsu, and one of the things that I hope we can keep doing is pushing the media to take this very seriously. Because mm -hmm. when you guys were talking earlier about how like the media is so dismissive of it, I mean, the media may be sort of, every journalist, you gotta remember, every, a, a journalist may be a capable, intelligent person, they may have critical thoughts. They're part of a, an infrastructure, an institution, a system, which may serve other means that they don't get a choice over. And so, yeah. That's why I always say... Oh, just remember when we tried to have that town hall mm. thing with PDN and we were going to meet there with oh, the Rindrati Sala, all of a sudden we got a call that it was canceled and it's supposed to be rescheduled, but I think that was over a year ago. It <laughs> had never been rescheduled. Yeah, no, so. I never, so, never came to anything. So, yeah, you're right, Mike. You know, I mean, I, I, it's got to be us to do this. We can't, we, 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 we can't think that, oh, they're just going to give it to us. We, gotta, we have to take it. We have, we have to in many ways show far and beyond a reason, a shadow of a doubt that you committed to this. You, you told us we could do this. And this is restorative justice for all the sufferances and suffrage that we went through. And, and today now with all these suits, it makes it seem like you didn't suffer at all. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand that that's the purpose of the Tomorrow Land Trust, uh, the Tomorrow Land Trust Act, plus the Commission on Decolonization. That, that's, these are restorative justice measures for all the colonialism mm -hmm. and all the injustices that were done you know and it doesn't include war reparations you know so you know i hope i've been insightful today i hope i've uh, at least got the message on right track you know and I, I still am very passionate about decolonization mike and i are planning some non-profit things that uh, we hope will continue to push on the effort oh, yes listeners to fanatsu we've me and uh, me and Ed Alvarez over here. We are we're we're planning a, a decolonization car wash. That's right. We're going to wash away colonialism. <laughs> and so um, the purpose of it is because um, Ed and I, we've what we'd like to do uh, sometime this year is is go to Washington D.C. and collect a lot of those documents, right? The federal documents that deal with uh, political status negotiations, Guam's political status. Because when I was there last year, when I was there last year, I, I went to the Department of Interior, I interviewed a bunch of people, and then like 
there was just there was some documents there and they were just gonna throw them away and these were and then I was just like can I have them and like, oh, yeah, you can have them and I'm like is it okay if I have them <laughs> but they and so there's a lot of stuff in there which we can use especially thinking about the future mm-hmm. and so me and Ed though we're we're gonna have a, a car wash to help fundraise to get us some tickets to go out there and just uh, collect as much as we can bring it back yeah. um, and then because that type of stuff will be essential in the in the in the fight that's ahead mm. is that you don't you're not gonna win uh, a, a fight or a negotiation with the federal government because you are the most passionate no you're gonna win and it's not even unfortunately that you are the the most right yeah that's not how it works if you're fighting your local mafia don, your local mm. conquistador. It doesn't mm. work like that. That's right. And so it's going to win because we know more, because we, we play it smarter than they are, and we take it more seriously than they do. Right. And that means not just... So that's, and so that's why, anyways, that's one of the things that we're... And I'm sure that we will be on Finatsu again talking about that soon. Yes. <laughs> but if... Here, Manny, you want to close us out? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Sidhu um, I I've been wanting to talk to you about these things uh, for a while, especially since um, our first interaction, you know, wasn't on on such good terms. Not personally, but because of the structure that I was involved in. Yeah, but I, like I said, I, I knew that. I already yeah. knew how that worked, and you know, even though it said your name, I knew you didn't write it off. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think you know that may have, uh, from what I heard, that kind of spurned an interest on you to oh, to do to do something about that. You know, and yeah, I, I'm yeah. I'm happy that you. Mm-hmm. You want to do your doctorate on that and, you mm-hmm. know, get back to what journalism is supposed to be about, not, yeah. not like what it's evolved into be now. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm glad, you know, you got a whiff of what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are not racist, as some people think we are. Yeah. No. Nah. I don't think we can be racist and invite you to our fiestas and <laughs> make, you, make you drink and eat and take food home and then call and say and, and, and be racist. That's, that's not how racists do things. So. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think we're racist. I know we're not racist, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, like anywhere in the world, there are good people and bad people of color. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's how it is, you know. So th- those people who think we're racist, you know, come to my party and I'll show <laughs> you you're, we're not racist. Awesome, then. Ed Alvarez, Cesar Smasi. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Manny. Thank you, Mike. Hey, man. Good job. Ihinanganya independent guahan. Para ba ina fanmatak nga yaman tomorrow. Para tatuli takti idiretsota komo unnashon gihilutano. Gini minet gut niha yamanyanata. Jani guinezata nu yifamago umtamotna. Ina keke fanmanungo. Jani keke fanet don todu itautosiha. Ni manyasaga gi ininatano. Para tanat letfet na ida guahan. Ni todu ini nasenyata, kosikisinya tafen lak na maulik mo na, fenatsu hita lak mo.